0: Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My
1: name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura
0: and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University.
1: On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Murder, murder.
0: Wow, Laura, this is our last episode that we're going to record in 2021, and... Really
1: what a year it has been, 80 episodes so far. Wow, it has really been amazing the way this podcast has grown, Sarah. And I mean, the cases we've covered and the authors we've met and the listeners, it's really been wild. It has been, and more to come. Much more to come. So much more to come. We have so many cases waiting in the wings for our listeners.
0: And we really appreciate our listeners so much. And we need to ask your help now. It isn't
1: free to put these episodes out, and we really need your support. And we really want to ask our listeners if they would consider becoming a Patreon supporter for this podcast so we can continue to put out quality podcasts and bring them to you. Yeah, exactly.
0: And we do want to also thank the Patreons that we have, which are David E., Nina M., Ron W., Cy B., Margaret W., Alfred and Sally kathy dolores lily and shauna k we really appreciate
1: your continuing support and so what are we going to offer the patreon listeners
0: well we have some really fun patreon bonus episodes coming your way and this also includes some pi tips from me and and some stories so i'm gonna
1: those are things i'm gonna provide for our patreon so it's gonna be fun Yes, and we're also going to take Patreon listener suggestions and do some of those cases as well.
0: Absolutely, and listen, if you can't contribute financially, believe me, we really understand. But please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star review and tell a friend. And also if you do want to become a Patreon, it's pretty easy. How do you do it, Laura?
1: You can just go to patreon.com or Patreon slash Ivy League Murders and then just type in Ivy League Murders in the search bar once you're on Patreon. And it gives you different options of contributions and you can start as low as five dollars a month and cancel anytime.
0: And we really appreciate you and just wish you the best holiday and a really, really happy new year. Here, here. This is part two of the mad story behind the theft of the Gutenberg Bible. If you haven't listened to part one, you might want to go back and listen. This part two definitely takes a walk on the wild side, so there's a real trigger warning. Adult content, so listener discretion is advised. What does the theft of the first printed Bible from Widener Library and pornography have in common? Well, that's our subject this week, embodied in the enigmatic figure of Vito Aris. In last week's episode, we talked about Aris's daring attempted theft of the Gutenberg Bible from
1: Harvard University. To help us understand the bizarre story of Vito Aris, we are referencing an article in the Daily Beast, which really went deep into the story. We'll post this article for a deeper dive. The research is impressive. Vitos Aris was born in Buenos Aires in 1949 to Lithuanian parents. Aris's family moved first to Montreal and then to the Boston area. His father was a composer, and ironically, Sarah, his mother was a librarian, very Freudian. (laughs) Yeah, so the article covers some aspects of Vito Aris's early life.
0: He's a pretty interesting background. They're Lithuanian, they moved to Buenos Aires, they moved up to Montreal, then they moved to the Boston area. Vito Aris is kind of shrouded in mystery a little bit. Like, first, we read that he was from Dorchester, and it turns out he was actually from Newton, Mass. So, which is actually a very nice area. Absolutely. He was 19, I believe, at the time of the theft. And I imagine he's hanging around Harvard Square quite a bit and coming in. And Harvard Square at this time, which is 1969, is really
1: pretty alternative.
0: It's very free love. For- this is really
1: the time of a counterculture and a revolution. The epicenter of this would have been in Massachusetts would have been Harvard Square.
0: So cut to the sweltering night of the theft, which was August 19, 1969. And last week, we kind of left you hanging, so to speak. Aris had managed to take the Gutenberg Bible in a bizarre and acrobatic stunt at Widener Library. He grabbed the heavy volumes and made his escape out of the window. Aris didn't have enough rope to lower himself down to the courtyard, so he hung there suspended that night until he couldn't anymore remember he's holding on to these heavy volumes trying to hold on to this rope (laughs) hanging there yeah i don't think he he planned this very well well thank god i'm glad he didn't have enough rope can you imagine if he had run away with this bible that very easily could have happened and we'd be talking about what happened to the gutenberg bible and where is it so after hanging on he dropped about 40 feet to the concrete below he was found alive but unconscious the next morning by a janitor. He's actually in this interior corridor
1: in the middle of Widener Library. Right. And we'll post pictures of where the Bible was inside the library. So you can, it's kind of hard to visualize without seeing a picture. Yeah,
0: it's almost like Widener is, if you can picture kind of like a building within a building, that's where the Elkins Library is in the Widener. So he's in this interior courtyard, that's where he's found that next morning with all kinds of injuries. And the Bible also suffered some damage to its binding, but was otherwise repairable. Aris was charged with breaking and entering, but who was Aris and why did he do this? It's not like, Laura, you can go and fence the Gutenberg Bible, (laughs) right? This is something that if you had to put a price on it, it would be $100 million. It's almost like taking the Mona Lisa and then going, hey, here I've got this amazing painting. It's so famous. You would never be able to resell this thing. And after this and after Aris was caught and it went to trial, there was all kinds of speculation floating around about what his motives were was he working he sort of intimated that he was working for somebody else then he became the focus of attention in that he was hanging around harvard square he believed in magic
1: he was dating a
0: witch there's kind of like this mythos right which i think he
1: contributed to that mythology so i guess we ask, why did a 20 year old kid want to steal the gutenberg why don't you tell the listeners who didn't listen to part one what the gutenberg bible is (laughs) So the Gutenberg Bible is truly the
0: first printed material in Europe,
1: in the world, really. I mean, well, I mean that, that was widely in printed. the Western About. world, right? Yeah,
0: in the Western world. So this was 1450. Johannes Gutenberg came up with the printing press. The Gutenberg Bible really revolutionized. It is the first printed document, and really, what it did was it took the Bible and it made it so that it couldn't be handwritten and reinterpreted. And it made
1: knowledge, basically, available to the masses. Exactly. This this started a revolution, and then there were printing presses available throughout Europe, and then there were libraries, and there were bookstores, and this just went on and on. And information became available to the masses, basically, not just the elite.
0: I read a very interesting thing about the Quran. When we researched this, that the Quran was first printed in Venice in early 16th century that the Yamans did not want the They didn't Quran. want it printed. They did not want right. it printed. It's just an interesting, just
1: a little factoid that- Absolutely, yes, that, uh, it is interesting. To get back to, to Vito. To and yeah, his motives. And I found this pretty fascinating that at 20, this was where his mind was at, that he had this fixation on the Gutenberg Bible.
0: Exactly, he wasn't an arch criminal. He had a slight record for possession of LSD and buying beer, this is Vito Aris. Like I said, he believed in magic and he was dating a witch at the time. And you really do have to think about the context of the time and Harvard Square in 1969 and free love and a real period of social unrest and revolution was kind of in the air. This 1969, as well as sort of free love. This is really the end of the 60s, the beginning of the 70s. I
1: mean, there's so much going on. But why the
0: Gutenberg for Eris? Why not something... Why not a smash and grab at a jewelry store? But I think Aris really had a fixation with becoming famous. In 1968, Andy Warhol famously said, In the future, everybody will have their 15 minutes of fame. This was after Warhol had been shot by actress Valerie Solanas. Everything was performance to Warhol, even his own shooting. Aris seemed to embrace the same philosophy. After Aris was acquitted on the theft charges for mental health reasons, Aris seemed to disappear, but perhaps those elusive 15 minutes still haunted him.
1: Can you imagine if Andy Warhol could see us now in this, our reality obsessed society today? (laughs) 15 minutes. It's more like 15 seconds and you're lucky to have it. Exactly. (laughs) But I think that Aris was kind of before his time. And so now we get to the way he seeks his fame after he doesn't quite seek it with the theft of the Gutenberg. So he goes in a completely different direction, Sarah.
0: He really does. And in a kind of a bizarre direction. And and really, I think he found his questionable 15 minutes in a strange admixture of performance art and pornography. Vito Aris starred in three movies. And this is really thanks to the Daily Beast. I think there's a couple of places that really dug into Vito Aris and this whole story. So this is not something we discovered, we're just kind of reiterating what we found. But in any case, Aris became a porn star. And he starred in, I love these titles, they're so sort of quaint compared to porn titles these days the first one is every inch a woman and the second one is called blonde ambition Aris would come to the sets of these movies and self-filate on these porn movies and laura you did a bit of research into
1: 1970s porn i did and for the listeners who aren't as familiar with the porn industry <laughs> as i am <laughs> That's what I wanted you to say. Right. right. I mean the porn industry of the seventies did not is 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 so different than today. This was when the porn industry was new. They were just making feature films for the first time in porn. VHS would come in the eighties when people would bring porn home. So we're talking about peep shows, rated X movie theaters. I did my research there. And also, this was really kind of, I think that Aris did identify, I'm not sure if he identified it as a gay man or bisexual, but I do think he identified as a gay man. And this really was kind of a time of gay liberation, Stonewall, which was really the gay uprising. I'm going to push back on you.
0: I don't think, okay, so this act that he would do, I think it was necessarily gay gay i don't think he identified as it i think he identified as what's called sui sexual meaning that you're someone who has sex with yourself and that's it i'm not sure i would i don't think he identified as either straight or gay i think this was like his whole thing and he called himself dr infinity because this was
1: the whole act that he would do I don't think it was gay. I don't think it was straight. I think it was just this was his thing. Right. I think he was celebrated, though, in the gay community. True. True. And I I think this kind of was a time of free love and expression in the gay community in the 70s because you really had kind of a 12-year period before AIDS happened. Right. Where you really had kind of between Stonewall and AIDS. Can you explain to our listeners what Stonewall was? Stonewall actually was a, a bar in New York City where a lot of drag queens and gay people would go and the police would come occasionally and, and kind of rough people up and arrest them. It was illegal. One night in 1969, primarily the drag queens just decided to fight back. And Lightsmen. there was a riot and the Stonewall riots happened and this became the beginning of the gay uprising to just stop taking that kind of abuse. Right. And this really changed the tides of society and really in New York, this really started to change. And, it's uh, the beginning of gay liberation, it really, It really was the beginning of gay liberation. So we have kind of the 70s and then unfortunately, a lot of this changes in the 80s when AIDS comes along. So the 70s were really this free expression. A lot of things were really pushing the boundaries sexually. Aris had the equipment. I will say in 1976, he won the Hunga Din Award for the biggest (laughs) penis. (laughs) So he had the equipment for porn. I think he did see it as, as much more performance art than sexual. Right. I think so, too. And it really did. He sort of intellectualized it. It's funny because I
0: did some research too and there is the Egyptian symbol. It's called the Ouroboros. It's a snake eating its own tail and the whole idea of infinity. And he built this whole philosophy around his practice, basically. By the way, he had become a yoga enthusiast, too, so I think this helped him in his practice. Yeah, I
1: mean, it all kind of fits this kind of new age, new time. But But he was a bit of a nut, too. Truthfully, you get the sense that he's one of these sort of 60s,
0: 70s lost souls. I was struck by, though, too, in his pursuit of fame, he pursued Salvador Dali. I guess he babysat for John Lennon and Yoko Ono. That's terrifying to me. He babysat Sean Lennon.
1: It's ter- terrifying. What's bizarre to me is that they put an ad in like the New Times or whatever to get a babysitter. And he <laughs> answered it. Wait, what's the New Times? A paper in uh, in the village. The Village Voice. Oh, the- <laughs> I'm thinking of as the New Times is in Miami. The Village Voice. <laughs> this is so bizarre to me. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, and, and apparently
0: this was way before nanny references were available and that kind of thing. Yes. But don't have no, Vita R S babys. Who knows haircut. how true this story is. Right, right. That's and true. then
1: he was fired for talking about his Doctor Infinity role. Right, right. But we don't know how true this is, but This is what's written, so I can't say it's not true. But the very
0: bizarre twist in this is, and it's still, that still lingering question of why did he try to steal the Gutenberg Bible is answered at the end of this article, which is essentially that Vito Aris, which was not his real name, which of course just builds the mythos even more, moves to Spain later on in his life, falls in love with a woman, has a child with her and sort of becomes this gardener slash family man in spain which is very interesting spain is interesting to me too because it circles back to our story about the monk we end up in spain remember we started episode one with the serial killing book stealing monk right so we've ended up in spain so ouroboros we have ended up in the same place so uh, i like that circularity but I was just going to say that Ars ended up telling his daughter when his daughter asked him about the theft of the Gutenberg Bible. He said, they would not let me read it. And I was interested in seeking the truth. I wanted to take the Bible so I could see for myself what was in that book. Essentially, he was looking for the
1: truth. Right. I think it was something deeper than that because he could have read the Gutenberg Bible elsewhere without stealing it yes that's true I think and it's almost sad to me and I think we see this so much today is this kind of endless pursuit for fame Mm -hmm. or notoriety which just kind of takes people in circles and circles and this kind of starts for him very young and it keeps going And I think, you know, as we researched it, he he kind of never achieves it, but gets kind of on the periphery of a lot of fame, but never really winds up in the center of any of it. Right. So he's kind of like in the sphere of Dolly, but never, we don't know that he ever meets him. Right. Exactly. And it's a little sad when people don't really find so much of their own identity, but they're seeking this bigger fame. Yeah. No, I think that's very, that's very true. It's so part of our culture today.
0: I just wanna step away from this and a little bit and just what does two thousand and twenty two hold? What's it gonna be? What do we wanna make it? What do you wanna make it, listeners? What do you want us to cover? Please let us know. Yeah, let us
1: know. We wanna hear it.
0: Murder, murder, murder.